For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are at Build-A-Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we've brought on the podcast are also Build-A-Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops, you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Build-A-Trend account. We are just a few months away from the Contractors Coalition Summit here in Scottsdale, Arizona. It'll begin on Sunday, May 7th and complete on Wednesday, May 10th. We had two events that were completely sold out last year. The first one in Nashville, second one in Huntington Beach with Nick Schiffer from NS Builders and Morgan Molitor from Construction of Style. Again, make sure that you get out to Scottsdale. It's going to be an amazing event. We only have a few seats left and we're going to be speaking about all things pricing, project management, how to make money inside and outside of your business, you know, contracts, client expectations, building that organization. And again, just the marketing aspect, social media. One of the most amazing values of this conference is not only the content that's produced and a lot of the information that's handed out to those that attend, but also the networking, being there with 30 like-minded builders around the country, being able to have a, someone to contact and reach out to on any questions you have moving forward. It is an amazing event. Hurry and sign up again, www.contractorscoalitionsummit.com. We'll see you in May. I think the number one game-changing best tool that you should become a subject matter expert in is LinkedIn. So welcome to the AT Construction Podcast, and we have Peter Kuhn with us today. Welcome, Peter. Hi, Brad. Nice to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on. So Peter is a board member with Goodwill, you know, nationally, so you're with Goodwill. You uh, Actually, just the, the Arizona chapter of Goodwill. Oh, just Arizona. Okay, good. E good. Each one is a, an independent franchise, but Arizona, correct. Okay, so but Arizona, what, what, we have like 130 or something. How many are in Arizona? There's 115 Goodwill stores. The Goodwill of Northern and Central Arizona is the most successful Goodwill uh, franchise in the system, and they touch over 350,000 people every year. It's amazing. Services. Their, their goal, their stated mission or objective is to end poverty as we know it. It's incredible. And I want to get into how you, you know, got with Goodwill because you're a lifelong entrepreneur, you're honorary commander at Luke Air Force Base. Amazing experience. You know, it's, going back to your background in Silicon Valley on California, and I do want to get to the goodwill, but what's interesting is the reason I brought in lifelong entrepreneur, because having known you, uh, Peter, you're a wealth of information. You have amazing contacts, a huge network, you know, as you've in your careers, we're going to get into right here, but you know, tell me about the gopher store. And we were talking about this, you know, previously before the podcast, but just about identifying customers and that success close rate, because I think you had a pretty good cl close rate. So we, when we moved from New York to California, when I was 12 years old, we moved into a brand new subdivision. Everybody was spending, in those days, it was probably only thousands of dollars on landscaping. But they put this landscaping in, they started watering the landscaping. And what that would do is it would attract the gophers because there's all these nice roots that are going down into the ground. The gophers would come and destroy everybody's yard. I can remember my dad having fits, the neighbors having fits. And I said, hey, I'm pretty good at catching these gophers. I went and bought a few gopher traps, rode my bike around the neighborhood. If I saw somebody's front yard that was ripped up, I'd go ring their bell and say, hey, look, I'll catch your gophers. It's a dollar a piece. This was in the early 70s. And that was, you know, actually money that caught my attention. So that really was my first experience as an entrepreneur. My close rate was 100% because, you know, <laughs> these guys that were executives at, at big companies in San Francisco, the last thing they wanted to do was come home and, you know, set gopher traps and monitor them. And, and I loved it. And it was fantastic. So that really kind of got me started. One of the things that always stuck with me is my dad said, you'll never get rich making a W-2. 
You need to own your own business. And of the four houses that touched us when we were kids, three of the people owned their own businesses. And they definitely had, I'll call it aspirational lifestyles for us. It's interesting, that advice. So he said, you're never going to get rich with the W-2. And you can, you know, the reality is, I mean, yes, you can have a, a successful life. Um, but essentially, if you want to get to the next level, just talk about how that had an impact on you. And again, you've had many jobs, many career opportunities, you know, to land you where you are now. You know, how did that create the entrepreneurship spirit, you know, that is natural to you? You know, I'm, I'm a take charge kind of guy. And I figure that if you want to control your own destiny, you need to do it yourself and you can't rely on others. So I would, I, over the years, I would identify opportunities and, and I would pursue them. I have a pretty high internal drive that I really credit my parents with instilling in, in all three of the kids in our family. And in fact, my mom says, my, my dad passed about five or six years ago, but my mom still says to this day, her proudest accomplishment is seeing the success that her children have had throughout the years, you know, been good people, contributed to society, had financial success, had successful families. And then she's also really proud of the fact that I raised pretty much as a single dad, two excellent young men that they blossomed into my sons who are in their late, in their late twenties, early thirties at this point in time. Now, I would imagine like any parent, I mean, they're going to be super proud of you know, what you've accomplished, Peter, and your family, and of course, that posterity, you know, speak to maybe her influence on you being young. I mean, you mentioned your dad's like gave you this advice about the entrepreneurship spirit, but, you know, to your mom, I mean, were there certain things that she taught, you know, her example in the home, um, you know, being raised by your parents that kind of helped catapult you? You know, I, I didn't realize how good I had it growing up until, I don't think I really fully appreciated what my parents did for us until I had my own kids. They sacrificed a lot. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad was an executive, actually worked for Bechtel, a very large construction mm -hmm. company, built, you know, built oil refineries, airports, mines, that type of thing. We would have, I would get in trouble at dinner when I was a kid because I would jeopardize or monopolize the conversation. My mom would say, enough, Peter, you can't talk anymore. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but, but they just instilled in us to do the right thing. Hard work paid off, and they provided us a supportive opportunity. One of my other earlier early entrepreneurial ventures was having a newspaper route. And on rainy days, my mom would help me. We had the old uh, country squire wagon with the wood panels on the side, and we'd roll, out, roll down the back window, and I'd hang out the back window and throw the newspapers in the plastic bags on people's driveways. Probably couldn't do that today because the police saw you do it. They'd probably stop the car and give the, give the mom a ticket for child endangerment. <laughs> Isn't it funny how those things have changed? You know, but what's interesting, I mean, again, your experience going from the gopher, you know, identifying clients and how that's played a role, and then, of course, the newspaper to now in your career quickly accelerating. You know, here you are in Silicon Valley, just a quick background, you know, embracing technology. How's that played a role? How did you get in to the industry that you did and find so much success, you know, you know, finding businesses to work with when it's hard, it's hard to cold call. I think a lot of people struggle, any salesperson listening, whether they're a trade partner, architect, builder, designer, they're starting their company. It's really hard to build a network, really hard to build relationships to get your foot in the door, you know, but you've had tremendous success doing that over the years. All right. So, Brad, Brad um, there has been just a, a quantum shift in the ability to prospect and, and the ability to identify customers. Let's go kind of way back real quick. I went to Santa Clara University, a small Jesuit school in Silicon Valley. I went in as a finance major. After I was there for 60 days, I said, gosh, I need to be an accounting major. My dad's spending all this money on this education, and I need to get the, the most out of this education that I can. So I became uh, an accountant. I was really fortunate. Accounting came easy to me. Um, I had a 3.97 grade average in accounting, passed the CPA exam on the first time, went to work for Pricewaterhouse, you know, probably the most prestigious accounting firm in the world. Worked there for three years, said, gosh, this is all well and good, but I want a little more control of my destiny. What can I do? Ended up going into the insurance business, work, worked for Connecticut General Cigna, primarily to get training. Worked there for about two years, said, gosh, if I work for Cigna, I can only sell Cigna products, but if I go out on my own, I can sell the entire universe of products. So I said, okay, I'm going to go out on my own because I had people saying, I'd like to do business with you, Peter, but we didn't have the products that, that solved their needs. 
really then I think I'm an, a natural prospector. Um, I'm always looking, my head's on a swivel. I'm taking in information, assessing the situation. Even to this day, when I drive around town and I see businesses, I'll look and I'll say, hmm, I wonder what they do or what, what would be interesting here or there, et cetera. So you, you need to, to almost get in that natural, I'm going to call it hunter killer mindset. Um, uh, early on, I was in Silicon, in, in San Jose. Every, every Sunday, the San Jose Mercury News would come out, and that newspaper was probably three inches thick. Two inches of that was help-wanted ads, where all the Silicon Valley companies, again, were buying quarter-page, half-page, full-page ads looking for engineers, uh, HR people, accounting people, business development people, etc. I had an X-Acto knife, and I would go in and cut those ads out. Then I would call those companies, you know, the, the, the beginning of that, that next week and start to build my database and prospect. I said, my gosh, if these people are spending 10, 25, 50,000 for an ad, they've certainly got money for benefits. And it kind of goes back to the gopher story where you, if you can identify a prospect, that helps a lot. So I would tell the, the people that are in the, in, in the building or the trade network, if you're looking to, to grow or develop your business, you definitely need to put on your business development to your prospecting hat. I know that's hard to do. And like you said, people don't like to do it, but you need to identify it. I think the number one game-changing best tool that you should become a subject matter expert in is LinkedIn. And furthermore, I think you should buy LinkedIn premium because that allows you to dive in and delve deeper into what is out there and reach out to those people. I also think what you really need to do is put together a portfolio or explain the value added proposition that you can bring. Again, I'm going to use that that contractor or that that even somebody who's looking to remodel or build a home. Uh, I think that is so important. So again, embrace LinkedIn. I think social media, nobody's better at social media than you, Brad. I, uh, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think there's a builder that's that's close. So so I, I think you can give a, a master class in that. In fact, they should probably sign you up for that. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, because of course you you touched uh, something that's super important to me is LinkedIn, right? Which we'll get into. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of LinkedIn. I think there's a ton of value there. A lot of people don't realize that there's so much low-hanging fruit, so much opportunity with LinkedIn that people just aren't utilizing. And it's such an organic platform. But what's interesting about the prospect is, you know, trying to understand, okay, the analogies that Peter's given, you're talking about, okay, for the gopher story, it's really easy to identify clients so you can walk around, you know, the neighborhood, bam, they have gophers, easy. It's going to help me with my close rate, right? But the prospecting, essentially what you're getting to is a curiosity. You have this curiosity, you have this, head on a swivel that you're always looking for opportunities. And then, but you take that same experience and now you're applying it to Silicon Valley as you're doing HR benefits, right? For these companies, these big companies, you're just going to classify saying, look, these are people that are already looking for this. Why don't I make the first call, get in there. And then of course I have my organization dialed in, you know, I have, again, like you're saying, I have my value proposition. I have my portfolio. So now as you're introducing yourself to these companies, it's lead generation that you found with the technology at the time that was a newspaper classified ads. Correct. And, and I think you always need to, to, to evolve. I, I think as anybody who has been watching the news the last week or so, chat GPT, you know, yeah. Google is concerned that this may impact their business. Whoever thought Google would have a legitimate competitor, but I believe they're legitimately concerned. When I first learned of chat GPT, maybe a month ago, the first thing I did was I sent an email to both of my sons and I said, you need to become subject matter experts in this because this will give you a definitive advantage over your peers. Again, anybody listening to the podcast, my word of advice to you, we are at a very unique opportunity. Figure out, learn how to use chat GPT. I was just on a phone call earlier this morning with a friend. He wants to lose some weight and he put a request into chat GPT, said, I want to have a 1500 calorie diet a day. Can you give me recipes and a shopping list? And it spit it all out and gave it to him. That's insane. Well, Peter, I love this example, the chat GPT, because we've done this. I actually had a production with my team and I was showing them. I mean, you look at just why, you know, even, even utilizing Google, Google who's out there, who's in a panic mode. But the reality is 
you know, there's still a lot of value to WordPress and backend, you know, website data, you know, blogs, you know, it's content, right? It's content, it's information, it's keywords. These things are valuable. And also now you have chat GPT and now you're accelerating. You could, to your point, you can go in there and say, let me get, uh, write me a blog on the pros and cons of having an in-house sauna right in my house and bam, right away. You know, one minute later, you have a 3000 word blog. You can edit that, you know, make sure it's in your own words, applicable to your region. But you're talking about instant content. To your point, I mean, imagine how this is going to change things, how, how quickly that artificial intelligence, you know, when you think about just diet and healthy living, building homes, net zero, building, whatever it is. I mean, it's all at our exposure if we're going to utilize this and being on the, on the forefront of it. Yeah, maybe maybe just do a, do a query. Give me the, the top 10 energy leakage places in a typical home. Right. And, and, and then, it'll come back with that in a, a second. And, and so as you're thinking about like company culture training, you know, building science methods, as you're saying, you know, that things that can protect us, you know, what are litigation issues that we should be worried about as a contractor, whatever it may be, you know, these it's right there. And this is why you're at the front of it. And then going back to LinkedIn, which is interesting is I've been, you know, so big on LinkedIn only because to your point, there's, you, you, you can really target for you. The example you gave, you said the ability to prospect, to find and target, right. And go after, and you can do that on LinkedIn you know, in your career, how have you seen LinkedIn play just a huge, you know, how's that been a great beneficiary for you? Oh, my God. Um, I, because of my skill set in LinkedIn, I was able to uh, get uh, an engagement that paid me more than a quarter million dollars a year for five years because of my skill set with LinkedIn and prospecting tied in with Salesforce. Um, and, and they were just blown away. And this took that company to the next level and helped increase their sales. I forget the data now, three or fourfold. Or their, so, their sales three or fourfold because so, of that skill set that I introduced. So maybe without giving away all your secrets, but essentially what what is that when you talk about Salesforce and LinkedIn, you know, how did you utilize LinkedIn to accelerate that aspect? So what we would do is we set up a, a customized Salesforce. I did my first Salesforce implementation in 2005 or 2006, I believe, right when Salesforce was launching, again, being in Silicon Valley. Prior to Salesforce, I had three by five note cards that I used to keep in a little recipe box on my desk. Then I migrated to, uh, I don't know, a program called ACT or something like that. But I was always worried that if my computer crashed or if my building caught on fire, I would lose all that data. So I kept two or three backup drives, one at my house, one in the trunk of my car, to be honest. That data was so valuable. But then all of a sudden, LinkedIn, uh, I'm sorry, Salesforce came in, had triple redundancy backup. So then I'm like, okay, nothing will ever happen to this data. Plus, then you could converge and integrate the data with outbound emails. And then you could track and see if people open the emails or clicked on the links in the emails. So you knew who to follow up call with and, and, and pursue. If they didn't open it, then you knew they weren't interested. But if they opened it 50 or 100 times, you're like, hey, there's a lot of interest here. I need to really follow up with this person. We then figured out a way early on how to basically, the LinkedIn people aren't going to like this, but scrape the data from LinkedIn and it import it into Salesforce. So we actually had, a, a, I guess, a routine or an algorithm in, in, in LinkedIn Premium that anytime uh, the companies on our prospect list had a change in HR, CFO, or CEO, we got an update about it. And then we would update our database on the fly and reach out and send them an introductory email on our value proposition. Uh, again, we could probably do an entire podcast just on that. But again, that's a piece of technology. And again, if, if we're talking to to, to, to folks that are in the building trades versus maybe somebody that's trying to grow a consulting practice. I, I know your, your skill sets are your, your, you know, your ability to hang drywall or do finished carpentry or whatever it is, but boy, spend some time or hire someone, maybe even an intern out of college to do something and build that up and get it going for you. Again, if people want to reach out, I'll give my contact at the end and I can have some discussions with them. So, let's speak about that for a minute because essentially what you're saying is, you know, we all have the skill set of whatever it is that we're producing, whether you're a designer, architect, subcontractor, builder, right? But you need somebody who's building the backend database, right? When you start thinking about 
the prospecting, as you mentioned, maybe it could be monthly newsletters, you know, it's the contact because really what ends up happening is, you know, our network is only as good as our prospecting. Our network is only as good as how many times we're in front of that person. You know, that's why social media can give us some FaceTime. But the reality is like, if I want to work with an affluent clientele, I have to be around them. I have to. So where am I going to be around them? Is it at car shows? Is it at the golf course? Is it at the country club? Is it, you know, at these networking events? I mean, you have to be around them a constant, right? Uh, so, so the top of mind, so that when they're building the house, they're thinking, Hey, I'm going to call Brad, you know, I know Peter, you know, if, and, and so you have to be a resource because if you're not in front of them, then it's really hard for them to find you. And there's a lot of ways to do that, not just in person, but also the back end, which is what you're speaking to. So I'm going to call, I'm going to call LinkedIn. I'm going to call certainly Salesforce and, and I'll even maybe say LinkedIn. I'm going to call that hard skill sets that, you know, things that you need to master and understand, whether it's you or somebody in your organization. But then I'm going to call kind of more softer skill sets, as you said, whether it be attending charity events, whether it be, you know, going to the Waste Management Phoenix Open in a box on 16 tomorrow, uh, whether it be, uh, uh, you know, a social media presence, whether it be having a blog, whether it be serving on a board in the community, whatever it be. Those are kind of softer skill sets. And I think you need to master both. And probably as the, I'm going to call it the, 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 the boss or the entrepreneur or the owner, you probably really need to manage those soft ones because you can't put those off on somebody else. But the hard ones, the hard skill sets, you can hire somebody to do that for you. Yeah. So that makes a lot more sense because there is a talent, right? Uh, to, to the soft skill set, right? Being out there and having the personality, being able to network and find common ground and build these relationships of trust in person. That's one aspect, but the hard, you know, but the other aspect to that is what you're mentioning. You know, when you think about Salesforce or LinkedIn or just other avenues of content, social media could be one video content, whatever it may be. That's where you can utilize an intern. That's where you can utilize someone that understands the back end that may be more efficient so that we can focus Chat on the GPT. Chat GPT that's going to save even more time, which I love that. So speak to maybe Peter, when you were in Silicon Valley, you're, you're working in the classifieds. Did you have an approach, you know, because it's one thing to cold call, even though these companies may need HR, they need support. They, they have the need for the product that you're delivering. You still have to get in front of the right person. And it wasn't like now where you can go on LinkedIn and say, okay, well, he's the CEO of this company that's making the decision. How did you advance past just call it the front desk? How did you get to who the gatekeeper? The gatekeeper. Yeah, exactly. Uh, believe me, Brad, lots of gatekeepers. And, and really what you would have to do is if you were lucky enough to get that person on the phone or get their voicemail, you had to maybe demonstrate uh, a technical competence. The word we would use is disturb them. You would want to concern them that although anybody over five or 10 employees had an employee benefit program, but I would try and say, hey, there's a better way to do it. Have you looked at self-funding? Have you looked at a health savings account? Have you looked at a health reimbursement account? Are you in compliance? Are you doing all of your necessary governmental filings and those type of things? And I can't tell you how many clients I picked over the years by uh, picked up over the years by demonstrating my technical skills and ability. Now I was, I'll tell you a quick little funny story. At, at one point in time, I had a, a securities license. I had a series seven securities license because we sold 401k plans and you needed to be licensed. I went in and took the test and I finished the test in half or a third of the allocated time. And after the test, a woman came and said, gosh, I was really struggling. Did, did you give up or what happened? I said, no. I said, I'm just really fortunate. This comes easy for me. I'm a CPA and all of the, 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 the things that you need to know for this SEC stuff relate to, to accounting and finance. So I was through, I think I, my score on that test was 94 or 96. So again, I was lucky. If you came to me and said, Peter, I'll give you a million dollars if you can learn Mandarin by the end of the year, I'd say, Brad, don't waste your time. It's not going to happen. I'm just not <laughs> wired that way. But if you gave me a, a, a financial statement and said, look at it and evaluate it and tell me if this makes sense or if this business is profitable or should I invest in it or, you know, you're penciling out doing a spec house or looking to invest in a, in a multifamily or industrial building. I'm going to look at it pretty quick and say, yay or nay, or I may say, you know what, I have a half a dozen questions and these are what they are. So one of the things I think that you really need to do 
is maybe do a skill set evaluation or inventory and maybe even hire a coach or a subject matter expert on that and then fill in or hire those people that complement you, not people that replicate you. I love that. So it's not people that replicate you. It's people that, you know, they, they have a different skill set. What's interesting, though, that I do want to pick apart is when you're speaking about just the technical side, the reality is, is you knew your information. You have prepared for it. You had studied it. You had a clear understanding. And that gave you the upper advantage. When you're going in to sell and close a deal with somebody, if you understand not just the product you're selling, if you understand not just, you know, the exposure, the consequences by not having it, but you're also providing solutions, right, essentially to these companies. And so you understand the full gamut of what you're presenting. That gives you the upper hand because now you seem like a resource as opposed to just a standard salesperson. Okay, I'm going to pick up on that last word, salesperson. I never viewed myself as a salesperson. I viewed myself as an educator and a technical subject matter expert. And so the educator and technical expert you know, aspect of this is that when a company is looking at their growth and yes, this is a need they have, they have to figure out, you know, is there a health savings plan, right? That I can do it health savings account. Is there 401k, right? These are benefits that are going to help them grow their business. They're going to help them be protected. Of course, be in compliance, which we understand, but it's going to help them retain good people in their company. And by you solving this aspect, well, now they can resource, you use it as a resource, you know, outsource that to you. And so, Essentially, what it comes down to an application for me as a builder is I have to understand what are the pain points of my customer, right? What is it that they struggle with when they're hiring a contractor? What's the fear that they have? What is, you know, clear expectations for the build schedule? Is my team trained? Do we have the software? Are we, you know, fulfilling what we're committing to do? And if I can understand their pain points and then I know that we have the back end side, it's easier for me to image that right with them and, and create this common ground. And then, of course, as you mentioned, hunt and kill, close the deal, move forward to the next one. 100%. Um, and I, I, I absolutely think that you need to be a solution. I think that's, that's a really good word. So let me ask you this. You know, network plays a huge role in this. And, you know, with you, Peter, how did you get involved with Goodwill? And the reason I want to ask that is because here you are in Silicon Valley, you know, networking with some amazing business owners, I'd imagine, especially in the years that you were there, as you know, as this is the whole industry's boom and it's growing, not that it isn't now, but back then, right. This is at the precipice of everything uh, going crazy there. How did that work? Just the value of your network and opportunities that came from that. And then now how you're on with Luke air force base and, you know, with goodwill and just the, you know, the amount of stuff that you're doing now. Um, the, the really the goodwill opportunity came about, because of my subject matter expertise in uh, net lease retail real estate. At one point in time, I had four partners. We owned $425 general stores in probably 30 states. So I had some pretty deep subject matter expertise in there. Real estate is a huge part of the, the, the goodwill operation. In fact, they, they specifically have a, a division called Thrive, uh, which, which manages all of their real estate. Um, there was, I, I was introduced uh, to goodwill by a mutual friend, and then I had to go through an interview process with uh, five or six of the executives, and they interviewed numerous people. And really, I nailed the, the real estate portion and they said, hey, we could use someone with this level of subject matter expertise on our board. And subsequently, um, I've been able to part, partner with them. And through some of the ideas and strategies that I've given them, we're going to potentially create millions of dollars of revenue and opportunity for goodwill that will result in improved offerings of services, whether it be educational, job training, uh, other needs, mental health, even housing. Uh, so I'm really excited to, to partner with them and, and help them achieve their mission of, of ending poverty as we know it. I love that mission of ending poverty. Getting back to the real estate side, is it common that Goodwill owns their buildings? Are they at least tenant? You know, How does that work from the real estate Great side? Great question. Historically, they have been a lease tenant um, they've seen all the value that they let, uh, let's just say, sit through their fingers. Right. And right. now they are starting to own 
the real estate. And, and that was one of the things that I was really brought on for, for some of my subject matter expertise there. But they're actually, and th their real goal, Brad, is to develop campuses. And again, these campuses might have a, a Goodwill store. It may have a housing component. It may have an educational component. It may have a training component. It may have a daycare component. This is uh, all evolving. In fact, Goodwill just launched the first I'm going to call it continuation high school for people over the age of 22 in Arizona, uh, because once you reach 22, I, I and, and I'm, I may not have this 100% right, you can't go to a traditional high school any longer, but they're working to give people high school or GED degrees, et cetera. So uh, again, again, the work they're doing is amazing. Uh, the, the tagline at Goodwill, it's more than a store, and, and that has never been more true. I love that aspect. This goes back to the involvement, right? You said companies have to continue to evolve. That's part of it. How recent have they been involved? When you think about the campus format, you know, whether it be education, housing, have they started that yet? Is this in plans? It's, it is in it. We are in the midst of it as we speak. In fact, I was out maybe three weeks ago with the president of the Thrive Division scouting potential sites for campuses. I, I, I can't really say much more than that at this point right. in time. But it's 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 happening. That's that's super exciting. And going back to the commercial real estate, I think this part's really interesting because your experience. It's funny how you go from, you know, being a CPA working for Price Waterhouse right at the time, Price Waterhouse, and then you go to you know HR, Silicon Valley to real estate, and these are completely different disciplines. You know, you, yes, you understand financial and how to read a balance sheet, which is super important. That helps you be successful in all of them, but. You know, the Dollar General store, understanding cap rates, understanding, you know, the, the land, whether we're going to, you know, lease out the pad, whether we're going to lease out the building, you know, the TIs that go with it, buying the building. I mean, all these different aspects. I, I can see why Goodwill has brought you on because just like the McDonald's formula, right? They understand the values of land more than the burger. You know, from your side, you know, how, how are you continuing to change this to understand different target demos, you know, understanding where to purchase the buildings because you have this experience with Dollar General. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. They're, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. Yeah, I, I mean, it all. I, I really think it's a, a cumulative, I'm just going to call it life experience that I, that I can bring to the table. And the the older me is a lot smarter than the younger me. Uh, the younger me thought I knew it all, but clearly that wasn't the case. Um, so I, I think you learn from life experiences. And, and I've certainly had a number of home run successes, but I've also had some failures. And you learn, I think sometimes you learn more from the failures than you do from the successes. It's just easy and it just happens and whatever you you harvest the gains. But the, the, the losses hurt. Um, and, and, and you take those to heart and maybe you, then you won't make those mistakes in, on, on an ongoing basis. And, I, and I'm sure it's, again, if we're, if we're going to relate this to contractors, you know, you've either bid a job wrong or you did a job that you shouldn't do or, or you selected a, slub, a sub that was inappropriate or something like that. And you learn from that. And then you say, hey, I'm never going to let this happen again. Yeah. And, and there is a lot of value as all of us have gone through mistakes. And this is why the value of the network, right? I've seen that, you know, there's a lot of mistakes I've made in my career. 
as a builder and they're painful. I mean, the reality is they're, they're painful. They can be costly. You know, they can be, uh, time sucks. Time Huge sucks. Time. Yeah. Huge. And, and, and you realize, well, you know, if anything, understanding, and again, this goes back to the education aspect here. Speaking of Peter's that when you make these mistakes, as you self-evaluate that and you, okay, I'm going to start making some changes. I'm going to update my operating procedures. I'm going to update, you know, high bet clients. I'm going to update how we're, you know, managing things and, you know, do I have the right people on the bus and where are they sitting on the bus and so forth? But what's interesting is, as you think about these mistakes, ideally you're in a networking group too, where you don't have to make all the mistakes yourself. There may be someone that, Hey, I could go to Peter say, Peter, I have this issue. How would you deal with this? You have a ton of life experience. How have, how is your network? You know, people that have given you great advice, maybe great mentors. How has that played a role? Oh, my network has been invaluable to me, whether it be introducing me to, to employee benefit clients, whether it be introducing me to, to, to friends, whether it be introducing me to investment opportunities. I'll, I'll give you a, a really easy example, the Dollar General stores. Um, I had a friend uh, who was a, a friend and a competitor in the employee benefit business, but we had a very good relationship. He was buying Dollar General stores one off for cash. I said, why aren't you introducing any leverage to this? And I said, you should do a whole portfolio of these because if you own one and that goes dark, it's 100% loss. But if you own 20 of them and one goes dark, it's a 5% loss. And then Dollar General had this huge advantage going for it in that it was a credit rated tenant. Banks love credit rated tenants and they would loan us money at two or 3%, you know, a couple of years ago maybe five years ago now, three years ago, uh, they would loan us money at two or 3%. We were buying these buildings at seven, seven and a half, even 775 cap rates. So we have five, five points of, of, you know, accretion to us. And these things just puked cash, but we lined it all up. And then we just kind of rinsed and repeat. Once we figured figured out how to do it, we could do it very efficiently. And we stuck to our sandbox. We didn't go buy multi-tenant centers because they're a lot more complicated to manage and run. We didn't get into industrial. We didn't get into office, et cetera. So I think what you, one of the things that you really need to do is laser focus and become the king of, 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 of that space or the subject matter expert with deep expertise. Another uh, example I can give real quick is municipal bonds. I loaded up on municipal bonds in 2008, 9, 10, and 11 when everybody thought California was going to fall off the face of the planet. There's a 300-page prospectus that comes with each one of those municipal bond deals. On about a page 180, it says if more than 55% of the people in that given municipality voted for that bond, that bond is no longer an obligation of the school district. It's a obligation of the homeowners in that community. So if there was 100,000 homeowners in that community and they issued a $300 million bond, each home had 3,000 in liability. I don't know if that number is quite right, but you get what I'm kind of driving at. Yeah. Um, so there was no way for this to default. And in fact, those bonds were in front of the senior mortgage. And I was getting seven, eight or 9% double tax free on that money. Now I loaded up on that, but the only reason I did is I was comfortable because I, I, I delved into the prospectus and understood it. I've talked to bond managers at hundreds, millions, even billion dollar funds that didn't know that fact. It's amazing. It goes back to in public domain. I'm sorry, Brian. Yeah, no, but it's all there in the public domain. It's just research, right? It's attention. But what, I do want to break apart. It's interesting that you mentioned the laser focus, right? And this is why it's really important for everybody to understand who's my ideal client, right? How do I target to them? And you said this, how do I prospect to them? But more importantly, am I performing? Am I marketing? Am I attracting those that should be in the laser focus? And what's interesting about your concept is really understanding. Again, I always go back to the SLP and people say, what are your standing operating procedures, right? And, and really the, the good example you gave about Dollar General is that you said we, you know, it's a credit rated tenant. So that's great. That has, and, and for anyone that understands cap rate and commercial real estate, even when you're going in and you're a credit rated tenant, that ups the value as well, you know, on the resale and the cap rate, in addition to the financing, you know, the leverage side of it that you can work out with the banks. And then you're saying, okay, well, stay in our lane. We're not looking at distressed, you know, shopping malls that were coming in and now we have to find other tenants. And yeah, there's a lot of upside if you can get all leased out and, you know, sell it to national re, you know, real estate trust, but that's not our interest. We're looking at, I would imagine these are single, you know, building, right. 
is what you're looking at because you said well, I'm not doing multi-tenant. And, and so you understand clearly what you're going at. And by doing that, now you can have a successful business. Uh, and a hundred percent. And if a problem did come up, if the plumbing backed up, if we needed a new HVAC unit, if, if, uh, if someone put their car through the front door, if the monument sign out front blew down, or if we had to repair the parking lot, if it was asphalt versus concrete, we knew exactly what it would cost to fix it. We had a network of vendors set up to, 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 to make it happen. So we really had the, the whole vertical complete. And then what we did was we put them into a DST, Delaware Statutory Trust, and sold them to 1031 buyers because you get a premium on the exit. Right. And that's where they're looking to place money based on where they're at. And again, Delaware is a great place to place your LLC. So again, anyone you know in the business aspect understands you know, that's such a where you're going, Peter. How does this look like now? Are you still involved with your insurance company back in Silicon Valley? Has that been sold? Kind of what where are you at with uh, the company? You so built gr great question. I actually sold uh, my uh, company called IBP Insurance Services in 2017. I sold it to an organization named Acrisure. Acrisure is a $4 billion um, insurance agency. We've done over 1,000 acquisitions in the last eight years. I am still actively involved um, with my clients in that business. Um, we've added a lot of depth and bet bench strength to the team. I, I couldn't even guess, but I think Acrisure has 15 or 20,000 employees. So we've got unmatched resources in the employee benefit world that I could never offer my employees before when I was a boutique op operation. It's interesting. So you saw that in 2017, you're still involved. Is that by choice? Was that negotiated? You know, oh, it's, it's by choice. And, and really, there, there was really two constituencies that I was most interested in, in, in servicing. Uh, my employees, I had long-term employees, 20, 25, 30 year employees. In fact, the 30 year employee used to be the, the nanny for my kids growing up. <laughs> I needed someone to answer the phone and then she became my right-hand person. Um, and then really my customers, you know, my customers put a lot of trust in me with a very important part of their, their organization, their compensation package. Benefits is probably the number two or three expense on a P&L after salary. And, and it, it's probably eclipsed rent now. So it's probably number two. And, and I've developed relationships with these customers. And I've had customers for 10, 15, 20. I, I can think of one really high profile customer I've had for 32 years. Um, so those relationships, again, to, to, to the network and, and, and to treating people um, properly. Those are all important to me. So I'm, I'm uh, still involved by my choice. I love that, but it's, you're passionate about it. I mean, these are relationships you've built and it goes back to a network that you want to service these people. You don't want to just say, I sold the company, hand it off. You know, this is why this goes down to the core of who you are as a person, Peter, is that, you know, the authenticity behind it, that by having those values, having that relationship, that's what's helped you build, you know, your business. That's what's helped you build opportunities throughout your career. What is the value of reading and listening? You know, as you think about, I know for you, I think a good case study that you just gave was the municipal bonds, right? That you, you looked at this, this is opportunity. And really it was just me taking time to read, to understand, and now I can utilize this. Well, I, I think most importantly, Brad, is I was getting scared. I had made a big allocation, a big commitment to these municipal bonds. Uh, and I said, gosh, I said, well, what, are, what are my real risks here? And I looked at the financial statements for the school district. School district financial statements are a mess. They have gigantic post-retiree medical liability, and they have giant pension plan liability as well. Basically, every dollar a school district takes in, at least in California, every dollar a school district takes in, they spend out so that they really have no net profit. So I was like, my gosh, how are these bonds going to get serviced? Well, it turns out the bonds are serviced through an ad valorem property tax. In California, you get your property tax and it may be 1% for the property tax, but then there's 15 or 20 other line items for sewer, road improvement, mosquito abatement, you know, junior high district, elementary, high school, community park, whatever. And those line items, I said, hmm, I need to learn more about these. That's why I started reading those, those uh, prospectuses. And then I found that 55% that clause. And I said, I'm good. And I wish, in, in retrospect, I would have made more allocations to that because it's risk-free. it's risk -free. But my wife jokes that I'm, uh, I don't know, a geek, a nerd, whatever it is. 
I, she is a voracious reader of novels. She may read a novel or two a week. I, I, I'm going to admit it here. I'm not proud of it, but I probably haven't read a novel in 30 years. <laughs> do, do, do you know? But, but I, I probably spend as much time reading, but I'm reading about private equity, GP stakes. I'm reading about, uh, you know, details on where we might go on our next vacation or a new car or new technology or trying to learn chat GPT or, or that type of thing. So I, I think it's important to, to spend the time to educate yourself. And then, you know, just uh, the, the thing, and I'm going to put a little sales spin on it. One of the things that we always used to tell people is, uh, what was it? Shut up, don't throw up. So when you go out for a sales appointment, listen, as opposed to just spewing them everything that you know. I love that aspect. I mean, it, was that a tough discipline for you? Because you mentioned, you know, early on here, you're at the dinner table and your mom's like, okay, Peter, that's enough. I've heard enough from you, you know, to now you're later in your career. How do you, you know, manage that aspect to say, I need to be a good listener, which I think is hard for all of us. I know it's hard for me in particular, but you know, to be a good listener, really process and listen to whether it be your customer or whether it be just someone in your network that may be saying something intelligent that you could download and, you know, possibly use later. I think it comes from life experience and patience and discipline and just realizing that you don't know it all. I remember my high school self or my college self thought I knew it all and clearly I didn't. And I, I think there's something to be said about being overly enthusiastic. One of my sons is probably even more expressive than I am. And finally, he has learned to, I'm going to call reel it in a little bit, and has had a great deal of success in, the, in, in high technology sales. But again, it's because he's, he's learned to discipline it and, and listen and then contribute when it's appropriate and make meaningful contributions. So, you know, getting back to, and, and you mentioned this just now, it's like in graduate school, you're top of your class. I mean, does that come from hard work? Does that come because you're passionate about it? Because you actually enjoyed the content that you were studying? I knew it was an end to a means, to be honest. Um, certainly the accounting. Am I passionate about accounting and, you know, journal vouchers and assets and liabilities and retained earnings? No. But do I know it's important to understand if you want to have success in, in the area where I have elected to play? Absolutely. So it's a, it's a necessary skill set. I'm sure, you know, that the football players who are going to be playing in the Super Bowl this weekend, those guys hate probably weightlifting and training and running and all that kind of stuff, but it's necessary to achieve at the success level that they want to on the field. Yeah, that's a great analogy because it's really what, what makes people successful is it's one thing to say, well, Peter's had unique opportunity or he's had this platform, but what they don't see is just the time, the research, the development. You know, it's really the off-hour stuff when you're grinding and pushing and that people don't see that really leads people to be successful in whatever aspect of life that they're in. A hundred percent, Brad. And, I, and I'm sure you can look at some unglamorous or drudgery filled things that you've needed to do to, to get AFT to where it is. Right. And nobody sees that. Nobody respects it. And everybody just sees Brad running around going from cool project to cool project saying, Hey, look at this. But that's, that's about this much of it, isn't it? Yeah. It's interesting you say that because sometimes I get that right. Whether even some customers will say, is my project cool enough? Like, you know, or, or you go to these amazing projects, like what, you know, but what's interesting is the behind the scenes, right? Just the, the stress like anyone has, as you think about the, the people that are working to build this, the, the responsibility, right? Payroll and client expectations and timeframes and, you know, access to material and, and not just that, just the prior 10 years to get to this point, right? The jobs that we had to do to get here and build our reputation. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stress and that's why I've realized, you know, as an entrepreneur that it's not for the faint of heart. There has to be, you know, this unique ability to be able to compartmentalize certain things, not get over emotional, understand how to learn from your mistakes. And what I like about you, I've heard you say this before, Peter, is, you know, you have said that people have to create a mentality, run towards fire, not, a, you know, how to run against the herd. And it's hard. It's hard. Conflict's hard, right? Doing the hard things is not easy. And, you know, how your success to run towards fire when most people run away, 
you know, that's not natural. Again, there's education aspects, but you know, how would someone who is looking to increase that aspect of their behavior, personality, you know, what advice would you give them? I'm going to break this up into kind of two categories. When I say run towards fire, let's first use the investment world, whether you're going to make an allocation to a stock or a bond or a, a, a building or, 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 or some a, a venture capital fund or something like that. Really, what you don't want to do is you don't want to buy in at the top of the market. When you're in an Uber or you're in a cab and, and, and the Uber driver or the cab driver says, hey, you should buy this stock or buy that stock, that, that's probably not the time to do it. But when something's down and out, beat down, downtrodden, that's the time to evaluate it. And if you can then see some runway or uh, uh, to a period of time in the future when that may be worth more money, uh, that's a good time to potentially consider an allocation. So really my, my run towards fire is almost take a contrarian investment approach or, or look at things that are undervalued versus overvalued. Um, the, the, the run towards fire for, for your career and business opportunities, I, I think what you need to do is you, you, you may want to do some things that maybe take you out of your comfort zone or are a little scary, but try and make those decisions in an informed and emotionally stable manner, not in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a totally emotional, unfocused manner where you just say, this this is is what I should do. I don't know if I said that quite right. Did that make sense, Brad? Yeah, completely. And I'll, maybe I'll give an example here. And you know, the mutual relation that you and I and I know you met Mark La Liberté. But what's interesting is, you know, when you talk about get out of your comfort zone, and in the past, so AFT in the past, right? We've done, you know, SIPS trusses. We've done ICF, you know, insulated concrete form construction, you know. So there's building science elements, right? But I've never built like a true net zero. And when Mark came to the table and was introduced, and I know he was interviewing a lot of builders, it was, I'll be honest, you know, years ago, it was pretty intimidating that here's someone who's been a staple in the industry for construction for his entire career. He teaches this. He has a school about it. And although I've had interest in it, our team's had interest, we've had some experience, you know, there's a level of expertise that he had. And so it would have been easy to be in my comfort zone to say, this is an opportunity we're not going to do because we, you know, it's going to be challenging, right? There's going to be some learning aspects. There's going to be challenging for some of our subs to get to this level. There's going to be some things that I'm going to have to rely on Mark, you know, to educate me and my team. But what I saw was, is just like you're saying, this was an opportunity. Like you're thinking investment. It's not that this was a bad investment. It's just, here's an opportunity go after it, learn it. Don't be afraid of it. Go figure it out. And now we can utilize that, right? As now I have other clients that are coming to me saying, Brad, we want to build net zero. You can do this. You've done it. We're going to be using similar methods. And so I've seen how that just broke down a door, a barrier for me and other builders in the area that we can do something now that will help change the future. And really, like you're saying, I mean, this is where the market's going and we have to be in front of it. Yeah, you, you're, I, I, I don't know how many other builders could, can, can say that they've built a net zero house. Yeah. And especially in Arizona where, yes. you know, this house is super modern. You've been there and it's like all glass. I mean, it's like 33% of the house is glass, which is pretty unique and still hit that net zero rating. Uh, for you, especially low, I mean, growing up in California, going to school in California, Santa Clara, I've had a few friends play basketball there. So I know a little bit about it. And then of course you're in the Bay Area. Why, why Phoenix? Why did we leave? Yeah. You know, it, it, it really came down to, 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 to lifestyle and opportunities. Um, I certainly love the Bay Area. I have great friends and relationships there. Um, we live currently in a community called Desert Mountain, which is probably unreplicatable or will not be replicated in the future. It's 8,000 acres, seven golf courses, 30 miles of private trails, 10 restaurants on property, 60,000 square foot facility. Hopefully they're going to pay me a commercial endorsement. <laughs> um, but but really, and and then the the price point. You, you, I guess you're kind of tainted when you come from California. I mean, the the house that I'm recording this from right now, we bought this house in 2013, and I think, well, I know 
we probably paid 250 or 275 a foot for a finished product. And it's, it's a beautiful home. Um, and in California, you know, that same house might be a thousand dollars a foot and you don't get the, 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 the same lot. So, so just from a financial perspective, and then the, uh, the, the, the amenities that, that the Phoenix Scottsdale, um, offers. I mean, this week is, is shining example as there is, you right. got waste management, Phoenix open and, and the Super Bowl, you know, in our community in the same week, you know, we just had Barrett Jackson, we're having the Arabian show. So, so it, it's really an amazing place. And then one of the other things that my wife and I really talked about is we like to travel quite a bit is the airport. We looked long and hard at kind of the La Quinta, Indian Wells, Palm Springs area. And that airport over there is substandard because you really have to either go to Vegas or LAX to get anywhere. The nice thing with, with Phoenix is you have Southwest and you have American as hubs. So you can pretty much get anywhere you want on a direct flight. So that's important as well. And then the professional sports and the concerts, et cetera. Um, so we, we really like what it, what it has to offer. And, and at this stage of our life, it works for us. And, and I think that's important. I think you need to make decisions that work best for you. When we had, you know, this area up here, North, North Scottsdale is not conducive to raising a family. You're, you're too far from schools. You're too far from everything. And, and I would say the majority of the people up here are 50 plus 55 plus. Yeah. And they are great golf courses. I mean, you say seven, but I mean, they're amazing golf course up there in Des Mountain and it's an incredible community. In fact, you're not too far from the net zero home. In fact, I think you're like five minutes cause we're Correct. at your place and went up the street there. And here you are on social media, super active on social media, Instagram, you know, you, you, you live what you preach, right? Peter, you're, you're speaking about embracing technology. You've done, you do that. And you, when I was going to ask you, like, what do you do for fun? Well, you've kind of said some of it, I mean, golf, mountain biking, I mean, travel, you know, what is it that, uh, you know, and then maybe along those lines, like, how did you even get involved with Luke Air Force Base, you know, being an honorary commander? Again, through my network, uh, a friend of mine said, hey, Peter, gosh, you seem like a pretty stand-up guy. Um, they're looking for people to, to, to serve in the honorary commander program. Would you have any interest in that? And I said, absolutely. My, my cousin is a 30-year uh, West Point grad. I'm very, very involved with the Wounded Warrior Project here in Arizona. In fact, my wife and I are really the biggest supporters of that tournament each year that we've had for three years in Sedona. I believe it's right around September 11th each year. Um, so I've seen firsthand what it's like, uh, you know, two of, uh, two of my wife's sons, one's a police officer, one's a firefighter. So again, first responders as well. So I have a lot of respect for those people, Brad, pe people like you and I, other people listening to the podcast would not have the, the, the quality and, and, and type of lives that we have without those people putting their, their lives on the line every day for us. So, uh, I, I think that uh, anything we can do to support and embrace them, particularly in today's day and age, um, I'm, hundred percent in on. So if anyone wanted to be like an honorary commander, right, what does that entail qualifications, but more importantly, like, what do you do, you know, having that title? So what, what you really do is you go out and you learn about the mission of the base and we spend time on the base learning about their different tactical missions. We're going to go down to uh, the Goldwater uh, firing range and, and actually see live fire demonstrations. Uh, we, we had a briefing last week or the week before about the history of the base and why it was named Luke Air Force Base. They have, I think, 177 or 178 aircraft there. They're actually the staging base for all the aircrafts that are going to do the flyover for the Super Bowl. And, and then we try and expose the, um, let's, let's call it the officers or the executives at the base to our network in the community. And then they do the same thing so that there's a better um, melding of uh, Luke Air Force Base with the, let's call it the Phoenix metro area. They typically target executives or business owners um, and you have to go through an interview process. And I don't know, I, I, I think they only take one of four or five people that, that apply. So there is some, there are some standards. Um, and, and, and certainly if, if somebody's interested in that and they want to reach out, um, I'll be happy to, to share some more uh, with you. The, the, the nice thing is, uh, you do get to go for a ride in an F-16, um, which uh, is, sounds really exciting, but nervous at the same time. Um, so, so that should be exciting. I, I got to do an F-16 simulator a couple of months ago, and that was pretty cool. Um, so uh, 
again, when you get to know these guys and the amount of time and, and just the insights they have, you know, I've talked with them about what's going on. Uh, uh, oh, I can't, it's, it's, uh, come on, the Russian conflict. Uh, help me out. What, what is it? Uh, yeah. What's happening in Ukraine and Russia right now? Ukraine. Thank, thank you. Yeah. Ukraine. Mm -hmm. What's happening in Ukraine. We talked about tactics and, and these kind of things and some things they'll say, Oh, I can tell you this, but other things they're like, can't tell you anything about that. We next point, please. So yeah. they're, they're pretty serious about the, 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 the secrecy, etc. We talked about the, uh, Oh, that Russian spy balloon the other day, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully you don't get motion sickness either up there in that F-16. Um, you know what? I, I have not, but I've never experienced 7, 8, or 9 G. So Right. <laughs> un, 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 uncharted territories. Yeah, I'll definitely have to have a follow-up on that and see how that goes. Um, so what do you have that's upcoming and exciting? I mean, especially that, you know, you, you sold the business, but you're not retired. I mean, you're still completely Correct. active in that business as well as Goodwill. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'll ever retire to be in, in the traditional sense. You, you know, I, I think it really comes down. We, we talk about this a lot, that if you don't have your health, you don't, you don't really have anything. And, and I work hard to, to exercise. I work hard to eat properly at least two out of three meals a day. I got to have a little cheat every now and then. Um, uh, but, but really, what's up? Uh, I think you know better than anybody else, Brad. We have this looming project here, so I don't know if, if you want to start getting into that, but that is front and center, and there is probably nothing that is more important in my life right now than that. Yeah, in fact, I think we have a call after this podcast. So just truth be Correct. told, Peter's, Peter's one of our clients, and uh, you know, I think this goes back to just the value, right? We had connected for quite some time through social media, through Instagram. I know there's some projects we did that you'd reach out and ask questions and I'd try to respond. And so there was kind of a little friendship, if you will, built online for quite some time. Correct. And, and, and I think with Paul as well, Paul's always uh, got his, uh, his, his, I like Paul's music choices. <laughs> he does. He does have some good music choices and Paul's awesome. And again, this goes back to, you know, I meet Peter, you know, you're one of our clients that we're going to be, you know, that we're building for, you know, Paul is an amazing, you know, player here at AFT and I met him through Instagram, right. Through social media. And here he is, you know, having his own business in Colorado and then meet him through Instagram and he moves down here. And so it's just amazing how, uh, you know, there's opportunities that come as we embrace technology and use it. Well, and one of the things, Brad, I think is that, that is, is that I had, so I, I didn't really get on Instagram until probably m March or April of 2020. And, and really what, what it came down to was, you know, that was the beginning of COVID. The whole world shut down. There was no more. I'm a huge sports fan, so I probably watch more sports than anything else on TV. That was all gone. I was bored. And, and, I, and I started getting on, on onto Instagram. And then, you know, we knew we were going to build a house. So I started following architects. I started following builders. I started following designers. I started following subs and that kind of stuff. And then... Uh, in all fairness, you stuck out head and shoulders above anybody else, certainly in our market. And I said, you know, I wish I, I, I wish I would have known about you, um, you know, before we, we started building the house. Um, and, and I said, that's somebody that I could see myself partnering with. And then it really gave me a, a really detailed insight into to, to what you do, how you do it. So I, I, I think it was let's call it a two-year interview process. Maybe that might, might be too strong, but do you know what I'm saying? You're, you're yeah. getting to see the, the value of the work or the portfolio of work that, 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 that you're putting together. So I would encourage, uh, again, particularly people in the builder community or really in any, any entrepreneur listening here, build out your social media and, and, and I would, one, one, one suggestion I might make is, is and, and, and I know this is hard, is maybe have a business Instagram and then have a personal Instagram because they're different. And, and, and sometimes some things don't play well with one audience versus another. But really, you know, do whatever you want on your personal Instagram. That's fine. But, but for your business Instagram, really showcase some of the, 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 the excellent work, the products, the services, the value added, the, the subject matter expertise that, that you can um, provide. One of, one of the things I wish Instagram would do is make it easier to click through to get more information. This whole click on link in bio, you got to back out and come in. I, I don't like that. So Instagram, if you're listening, you should be able to click on the picture and go right through. Yeah, I do like that. They don't hyperlink anything. 
Yes. And I don't know if it's try to like, they're just trying to monopolize the content, but that part is really difficult because most other platforms will do that. But Peter, I mean, you've been amazing wealth of information. You know, I love just the background of understanding how to run towards buyer, you know, understand your prospects, ideal client. And then again, find it, you know, utilize your time wisely. And, and so many opportunities will come through that network. So where can our listeners find you? Um, probably the best place is uh, either Instagram or uh LinkedIn. So my Instagram is Peter, P-E-T-E-R, V as in Vincent, K-U-H-N. I'll say that one more time. Peter, P-E-T-E-R, V as in Vincent, K-U-H-N. And then my LinkedIn is Peter Kuhn. It'll show up as uh, IBP Insurance Services on my LinkedIn. Um, be happy to connect and, and, and share. Always looking for, for interesting opportunities and, 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 and to learn. Oh, you've been amazing, Peter. Well, thanks so much for making time and uh, I'll see you later today. Yeah, Brad, thank you. I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks. Uh, and again, uh, really impressive with what you and your organization have done and are doing. So uh, excited for this, uh, this journey. As much as I like you, Brad, the shorter, the better. <laughs> well said. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favorite ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes. Please share those as well. Again, subscribe. Make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support and we'll see you next time.